Welcome to TA1, everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, Legendary Randy Erickson, here on a Thanksgiving weekend, actually Black Friday to be exact. So this is the uh, first of many World Championship podcasts. This would be with Kyle Peter. We answer a bunch of questions from listeners. How exciting. And uh, some big news about his new team for next year. But you got to listen to the whole thing, so... And we have our Thanksgiving traditional song at the end, so I'm going to shut up because this is a long one. Hope you have a good workout planned, and go fast, take chances, and thanks for listening. Randy. Hey, Kyle. How are you? I'm good. Good. Well, good. I'm glad it took you a little long to answer because all of a sudden I realized, oh, I'm in the wrong application, but we're recording Everything looks good. <laughs> yeah, crazy. I didn't know you could make phone calls on Facebook. I, you know, I didn't either, and I don't think you could tell. Maybe a few months ago, you could always do um, video, mm. but they just they never had the calling. And quite honestly, half the people I try to talk to don't remember their Skype login. Yeah. <laughs> so it works, and it hell, it's voice over internet it works great. Cool. All right. So. Um, so, anything exciting been happening in your life in the last you know, few weeks? Um, yeah, it was a lot of excitement, <laughs> and uh, man, it seems it seems like it was just like yesterday. I was packing up to head off to Brazil. Like, I, I blinked and the race was over. Uh, it was probably because there was not a lot of boring sections. It was pretty. Pretty full on all last week out in the the swamplands of Brazil. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, uh, I don't even hardly know where to start. <laughs> okay, here's how I'm going to start. How big of a pain was it just to get there? Um. Well, we needed a, a visa. I've never needed a visa for any country I've been to before. Um, it was 160 dollars and. Huh. Had a plan ahead. Um, had to schedule an appointment with uh, the offices here in San Francisco, and I'm fortunate enough to be close to one. Um, if you're not close to one, then you need to, I think, use a service and mail it in and pay some more money. But uh, the first appointment I can get was six weeks out, which put me uh, like a week and a half before I was um, to take my flight. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I did that. Uh, walked in. It was actually pretty quick. I had all my ducks in a row, um, different pictures and different pieces of paperwork and flight itinerary and all that. So, yeah, it worked out um, pretty easy once I figured out the process um, and got the the visa. And then uh, then the travels were pretty wild. I was just thinking, you know, world's next year in Australia. I think I can get a direct flight from <laughs> San Francisco to Sydney. Um, yeah, it's a pretty, like it's about as far as you can get away from, from North America. But I think that's going to be a much easier and quicker travel than getting to the heart of South America. We took, we took a flight to Mexico City, which is about five hours for us, and then a nine-hour flight from Mexico City to San Paulo, and then a couple-hour flight to Campo Grande, which is a tiny little town, um, and then we had a six-hour bus ride to. Carumba, um, and then Carumba is kind of the jumping point for a lot of tourists 
um, that go off into the Pantanal and explore that region of Brazil. Mm-hmm. And then we had, um, of course, a lot of people know that followed the race, a 12-hour Brazilian Navy ferry boat um, ride to get up to the actual start line and pretty much is is far, far removed and probably the most remote I've ever been in my life. Um, really smack dab middle of uh, the world's largest tropical swamp. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. I've told other people this. I'm I'm not real sorry I missed it, but then, it, you know, then as things start coming out and you start hearing, it's like, ah, kind of wish I was there. But yeah, I think it might have been kind of an impossibility actually to get here from here because like there's no consulate <laughs> within 1500 miles <laughs> so, yeah i think you'd have to but, do, uh, use a service and mail it in yeah yeah so, but cool um you know i was thinking you sent me the list of questions do you yeah. want to describe the race or do you want to just go through the questions because i i think between yeah. all these questions well you know that, i'm and, figuring most people that are probably listening um, probably have some idea of the course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can, we could jump into the questions or, I mean, you probably have some as well. Um, yeah. but I, I want to be lazy tonight. Let everybody else ask yeah. them. Yeah. So basically so, I kind of pulled some people from, uh, both attack yeah. point and Facebook. And, uh, yep. of course when they're watching us race, you know, they're wondering why we're going the wrong way or why we're going in circles mm-hmm. or, um, there was a lot of uh, questions and controversy and, and yeah. different things about the race that a lot of people that were following probably don't know. And um, I haven't really, I haven't written a race report and I haven't talked much um, in regards to a lot of those things. So I think yeah. some of the questions might be redundant, but I think um, they'll at least jog my memory to talk about different highlights and things from the course. Yeah, I think so. And if, yeah, I, quite honestly, I know there's, you know, TA6 is going to be, a lot of people really want to know about that, but we'll get into yeah. it as we get there. So, yeah, I'll just start. Um, hey, then maybe everybody will listen to the podcast because they'll get to hear their name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so our first one is from Christina Nakos, and must be a friend of yours because I don't know who it is. <laughs> but, um, okay, she wants to know, here we'll jump right into it, your take on the pack rafting short course decisions and thoughts on AR stage races versus expedition. And do you think, she wants to know, do you think race directors need to go to stage racing? So, yeah, the first part is um, this course was way longer than the race director expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it became pretty clear early on that we were moving way behind schedule. And... I assumed, um, you know, I was full on expecting to get into, you know, TA three or four or five and hear about a section of the course being removed or something being altered to speed us up. And that never happened. Um, and we set off um, on a trekking leg. That was pretty unique. <laughs> and we got into, yeah, TA six where. There was a number of teams hanging out. Um, there was a doctor there. It was a very remote TA. I think the only way in was by horse or plane, maybe boat. Yeah. Um, 
And um, Jason, who we will also get into that, he was um, struggling a bit with some medical issues and needed some medical attention. So we were also hanging out there waiting. We're getting reports that Seagate's still not done with the leg. We had packed, I think, less than 20 hours worth of food for this leg. And Seagate was um, on hour 30 and still not out yet. <laughs> And, and Seagate was, you know, leading the race and there was yeah. a few other teams and we watched, um, we had just missed team God zone, start the leg. And we saw the Estonia ACE adventure racing team start the leg. And we had gotten a little bit of a taste of this terrain. So it's essentially, um, the map is a one to 100,000. So there's not a lot of detail and there was one track on the map leading through the swampland and the tracks that we were on. Um, or flooded. So mm -hmm. the trek before, we were actually walking upstream on a trail that um, was full of crazy wildlife. Um, stingrays and alligators and snakes and fish, that, jumping flying fish. And it was pretty exciting and tons of bugs, of course. Yeah. And it was a really unique environment. And I still, I still am not quite sure, you know, what, like it's 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 like unreal. It's hard for me to really wrap my head around this environment we were in. And so essentially, the next leg um, was going to be a pack raft leg. So assuming the track was going to get wetter and the terrain was going to be wetter, so we're going to be able to paddle our inflatable boats um, and track and paddle and track and paddle and basically pick our route through there. Um, but if you got off your bearing and you got in lost track of where you were there was nothing to really relocate yourself with um so, okay yeah yeah so the navigation was was extremely difficult and we've been in some legs where the navigation was tricky um and in the past couple expeditions we've done we've actually been given uh, a gps file and been allowed to use a gps unit to get through the section which might have been an option for, for this section but um you know, three teams navigated through there without any outside assistance. Um, and I have no doubt that, that Rob and our team could have navigated through, and I think it would have been pretty exciting. But what happened was um, we were waiting around where, while, J while Jason was recovering. Uh, Merrill was there also recovering for a teammate. Uh, and there were some short course teams that I think were a little nervous about going out. They had actually – well, short course teams at this point were tagging along with some of the the lead teams to get through the difficult navigation. Yeah. Um, so uh, we were going to wake up and start, start the section. And all of a sudden we learned, of course, Seagate had not finished yet. Now they're over 30 hours. Um, we had heard rumors that um, yellow brick, the GPS tracking devices were, were um, set off for a few teams that they needed assistance. We didn't know exactly you know, if they had a medical issue, if they were lost, if, if there was an animal issue. I mean, who knows? Um, but it was definitely a, uh, a little disturbing. And then the fact that God Zone had actually come back to the TA. They were out eight hours on this leg. And uh, we just assumed at that point, like, oh, they're, gonna, they're coming back here to sleep. Because there was really l little options to sleep on in the course because the insects were so bad, the mosquitoes and the ants and... Um, of course, if, if the area you were in was wet, you're not going to be able to really sleep much. So, yeah. you know, we figured it's really difficult navigation. They're going to come back and re-attack re it in the daylight. 
But of course, if the leg is taking 30 hours, I mean, there's going to be multiple nights <laughs> yeah. to manage out there. So, so we reset the alarm uh, for right before sunrise. Um, we packed up, we were heading out, and we heard um, Team Godzone talking to Team Raid Light. And we figured, yeah, we might want to listen to this and see what Godzone saw out there because we really don't know what to expect. And they essentially had said that you know, we didn't have enough food for this leg, which is true, and there's no options to get more food at this point. Yeah. Um, they didn't have enough food. Um, their potential for needing rescue was pretty high. Um, they thought it was you know, unsafe, essentially, to go forward. Um, you know, they, of course, knew that Seagate and all the other teams hadn't made it through, moving very slowly. They thought it was a, a big safety concern. And also, we were so far behind that if we set off on this leg, we probably wouldn't get out um, until the award ceremony. <laughs> and then, of course, we're all flying home the next day. So yeah, so it was it was a little tough because, I mean, at the at the time, I wanted to go out and I wanted to experience this this leg, and I wanted to have a chance to move ahead in the rankings and and go mm-hmm. catch teams that were ahead of us, especially if they were spinning their wheels on this difficult leg. If if we could potentially have some success, you know, who knows what teams we could we could catch. Yeah. So we had we were able to somehow radio. Um, the race director, Shuby, and um, kind of let her know what was happening, and she knew things were running behind, and she made the decision that uh, no one would go forward from there, and we'd all be on a essentially a short course. We all took uh, a little Cessna airplane ride and skipped mm-hmm. the next two legs uh, and, and got to our mountain bikes. Yeah. So yeah, it so, felt like a kind of felt like a little bit of a, the race was over, you know, there's a little bit of a, a failure on our part from, you know, not, not completing the whole course. Um, so yeah, it was unfortunate, but, but, um, there was too much race for us to get done in the, in the seven days. And we were given, um, this will probably answer a couple other questions. We were given time estimates before the race in order to pack our food and all of our supplies. Yeah. And this was before we were we saw any maps. And the fast time estimates had us finishing maybe in four and four and a half days. Mm-hmm. And for seven hundred and fifteen kilometers, that's super fast. That's that's like cowboy tough speed and that's on open flat roads. Yeah, that's you always get eighty miles of mountain biking on a gravel road. <laughs> yeah. And of course we weren't gonna see our mountain bikes till the last day. So Yeah. So it, we knew it was pretty aggressive, so I think we threw a little bit extra food in. Um, and mm-hmm. also racing in the heat, your appetite's not going to be as high. And So, um, yeah, the course was just ridiculously long and uh, maybe maybe poorly managed. Maybe that could have been prevented earlier on and, and had you know the lead teams. Basically, everybody diverted on the same course, so you didn't have – you know, five teams on one set of course and the next five on another course. Yeah. So that would have, yeah, that, then it would have just been a straight ahead race. Yeah. Why do you think, do you have any thoughts why the time estimates were off so much? Well, Shuby mentioned multiple times in her pre-race meeting that she had been on every section of the course and she did every section of the course. And I'm mm-hmm. not doubting that, but 
you know, she's been playing this course for a couple of years and this area floods and dries and floods and dries. And I think, you know, if she went through different areas at different times, um, they could have been faster. Yeah. And also I think she, she overestimated how fast lead teams move. Mm-hmm. Cause I think what she was doing is, you know, I heard something like she did a section, took her 20 hours and she assumed Seagate could do that in 15 hours. Well, it's not really the case when you're out there, you know, after a few days on a trek, you know, and you need to take care of all the different things you need to take care of, fill water. And, and the heat was also a major factor. Um, mm-hmm. They were saying, you know, 40 degrees Celsius, 110 degrees Fahrenheit and full on humidity. And I guess that was that was a heat wave. Um, okay. That's hotter than expected. That slowed us down. Um, and I think also, you know, I think Shuvi probably underestimated how hard the navigation was, especially for that, that pack rafting section that we didn't get to. And, you know, I, I'm sure she had guides and, and help. Um, yeah. You know, she wasn't just exploring these, these swamps on her own without any uh, input. So, so it's basically just a whole bunch of little things added up to major, major time differences. Yeah. Yeah, and also, you know, it's really interesting. Um, so we started with, you know, an all-day paddle, starting to heat a day, super hot. Mm-hmm. And we had a little five-hour trek, run through some flatlands and up and over a mountain. We had a trail on the way up. Mm-hmm. Um, we did that with uh, Silva, and we had Team Columbia and Seagate in front of us. And then we bushwhacked our first taste of the jungle bushwhack down the hillside to the next transition area. And we moved pretty good, like – we didn't have to pull out the machete at all. We were just kind of working our way through, moving pretty quickly, the two teams. And then uh, we popped into the transitionary, and we had passed Seagate and Columbia, who were probably 100, 200 meters paralleling our track, but they're in much um, much thicker jungle. Oh. So a lot of times we would hit legs where we would lose, mostly lose, that one time we gained you know, five, six hours because of really thick jungle and traveling at night, you can't tell if, if it's clear a little bit to the left or right. So, you know, I think if, if the race director was moving through these areas and had, had the uh, kind of local knowledge of where to be and where not to be, you'd move a lot quicker. Yeah, I can see that. So, um, all right, let's go to our second question. This one isn't quite as serious. <laughs> Stan Dennison wants to know how many small, medium, or large animals fell victim to your machete. Ah, well, we did have a machete, and it was definitely not just meant for bushwhacking. It was yeah. definitely for protection. Um, I think the most aggressive animal out there was the jaguar, which we did not get to see. Uh, it's mm-hmm. of the Americas; it's the largest cat. We did not see those, but we sure saw a lot of their tracks, and they have really wow. cool paw prints. They look just like the the Clen- the Clen- Clemson University uh, logo. It looks exactly oh, yeah. like that. Huh. It's like classic cat print. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we didn't have to slay any animals, um, but okay. we, we came across a few different snakes. We saw a large tarantula, um, about mm-hmm. seven different kinds of ants, one of which um, has a bite to it that, that lasts for a few hours and uh, is really sore and if you're not feeling 100%, it can make you, definitely make you feel nauseous. 
And then we saw, you know, everybody, of course, saw stingrays and the fish and loads and loads of alligators, which they just, they kind of treat down there like stray dogs. They're just everywhere and they mind their own business. They're definitely not aggressive, mm-hmm. but they're not shy either. So they kind of hold their ground and open their mouth, kind of smile at you and let you know, hey, I got a lot of teeth. Don't bother me. <laughs> say okay no problem huh? yeah exactly and then um a couple of cool animals that we got to see that i don't know that every team saw we got to see a pair of the giant river otters and these mm, are that sounds cool really aggressive otters that um about the size of a like a yellow lab and mm. they have fangs so when they're in the water we saw they're in the water kind of bobbing up and down they look like vampires <laughs> and they're kind of hissing, like a little agitated. Um, so that was that was unique. And that was cool. And then we saw another animal. It was kind of mystical. We were we were pretty depleted in the heat of the day, moving slowly, and we saw this thing jump out of the woods. And the only way I could describe it was half monkey, half cat. And of course. Huh. If you know, if my team didn't agree with me, I thought it'd just just be a hallucination. But so we started to describe this to um, a Brazilian team we were traveling with, and and they um, they described it or they called it a, a, a Q U A T I, Quachti, something like that. Hmm. I'm terrible with Portuguese. Yeah. Even if I know the Portuguese word, people don't understand me because of the pronunciation. So. Decent. Yeah, it was really cool. I guess it's a marsupial, but it looks exactly like a mix of a monkey and a cat. It was really mystical. It almost looked like a creature from Avatar, just like jumping out of the jungle. Wow, that would be kind of cool and freaky at the same time. So um, how often were you traveling with other teams? Because it sounds like at least a few part of the time you were sort of in a group. Yeah, I think there was quite a bit, quite a bit with other teams, especially – the nature of um, kind of getting bottlenecked or grouped up with thick vegetation. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the second night, you know, we were shedding a trail with with uh, Columbia and Silva and a Czech team. Mm. So is that uh, actually kind of nice in the middle of the night, in the middle of the jungle when there's like 12 of you there? No, I, I <laughs> like it. Yeah, because... <laughs> Especially when we're, you know, I feel like we were doing quite a bit of work macheting this trail, and some teams were not doing as much work. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, of course, you know, one person finds the route or finds the way, then everybody else can kind of tag along. It's kind of hard to to make separation. So yeah, it's it's not really not really ideal. But what do you do, right? You can't you can't speed up and drop them. No, yeah, definitely not. So. Okay, here's the next question, and I know this is from John Van Dis, and I know he listens to the podcast because it's like, what's your best and worst four hours of the race? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, um, easy. it's easy to think of the worst right away. Um, yep. We, man, we, we had kind of a, a, the turning point in our race was pretty early because on day two, we got into the lead briefly, which was pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was a checkpoint. Let's see. I pulled up the the map so I can talk check. I never remember the numbers. Yeah. Uh, the first pack rafting leg, we we paddled upstream. We paddled across a headwind in a lake, and then we had a trek to get up to checkpoint seven. 
and there was kind of two two suggested routes. Um, one was a more conservative route, taking a ridge along, and we took a more more direct direct route. Um, and we drink a lot of water, bushwhacking up to this ridge. Um, there's tons tons of water around, but when you're on land, it's pretty dry on the actual yeah. land. Um, so yeah, this was kind of our first lesson in needing to, to carry more water and be more conservative with that once we leave a lake or a river. So we took a direct, a direct line up. It was a steep, aggressive jungle bushwhack up. Um, but unfortunately this checkpoint seven was misplotted by, um, a few hundred feet below the ridge. Um, on a, it was marked as a hill, but the, the actual checkpoint on our map was shown just below the ridge. Well, in reality, the checkpoint was four or five people camped out on the ridge. So anybody yeah. that took the more um, conservative approach walked right into the checkpoint on the ridge and were surprised and delighted and moved on. Well, yeah. we spent quite a bit of time, a few hours, trying to sort out where this checkpoint would be on this hillside essentially mm. um finally ran into a few teams and I, we had a really good time up there we moved pretty quickly um but unfortunately lost all that time hunting for the misplaced checkpoint so there's not a whole lot you could do about that but we we ran out yeah. of water up here uh super hot um and then i remember once we located the checkpoint on the ridge a little confused we looked at the map we saw a trail they would take us into the TA and get some much-needed recovery. And the sun was about to set, so then we were going to sleep there and be our first first sleep. And I remember finishing my water. I had like a sip left, and kind of like mentally, like, okay, we can we can get through this. We we're going to get down to a trail and run in. Well, we didn't really get on that trail. I don't think that trail really existed. And again, some teams got on a section of jungle where they moved pretty quickly and got down to a road. This is where we got stuck um, with a number of teams, um, and we were cutting a trail through really thick jungle. Like, you could not move through this jungle without a machete. Uh. So it was very slow going. We were all pretty tired, not thinking too clearly. And before we all kind of met up with all these teams, we were doing our own little machete thing in the jungle. And I, I think – it was my lowest moment of the whole race, mm. so I'm not quite sure, but I think Rob had the machete in the same hand as his compass, and I think we oh. were kind of macheting around in circles. Wow. And the jungle yeah. was thick, and there were ants, and there were mosquitoes, and things were scratching us, and I had a little freak out, and I got attacked by like four or five of these ants I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. They're like really long, big black ants, and they bite, and they got stuck in my shirt, and I was like dehydrated and nauseous and like bugs were eating me and I was stuck <laughs> walking in circles in thick jungle. And it was just this mental letdown because two hours ago I thought I was going to run down a trail and be in the TA sleeping. And instead yeah. I am having crazy reactions from ant bites and lost in a thick jungle. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a bad time. And I was, I was concerned like I was going to pass out like, Things were kind of going dim in my vision, and I was definitely freaking out. So um, somehow we, we bumped into 
the Silva and the Czech team and all the teams kind of bumped into each other and we all started working together. And our plan was to, to machete this trail down to a lake where the road touched the lake and then got down there and we even had trouble once we kind of got to a clearing. We were right next to the road. All the teams left and we, we laid down with the mosquitoes and our garbage bags for maybe 30 minutes and I didn't sleep a wink because we're just getting eaten alive by mosquitoes in a sweaty garbage bag. <laughs> and somehow that gave us enough recovery where we woke up from that and found the road and got out of there. But it utterly wasted us. It was an extra eight hours of hard yeah. effort that we should not have done. And yeah. it really, really set us up for failure the rest of the race because then we took our rest and the next day we were climbing a big mountain in the heat of the day and someone was always struggling and hurting with the heat. We were stopping every 10 minutes to take a two minute break in the shade. And, uh, it was just, it was, it was hard go hard going. We never, it never at one point from that moment forward, did all four of us feel good where we can move fast. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. 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 Well, it, and part of that, do you think it's because you were looking forward yeah, you were thinking, oh, two hours and we're going to break. And then, I mean, you're you're physically exerting yourself, but also yeah. that mental Oh, thing. yeah. I mean, I kind of learned and never to let our guard down. Like this race, hmm. you know, people ask, oh, is this the hardest race you've done? Well, I don't know about that, but it was one of the most punishing. And it seemed hmm. like every leg had another little, like, jab to give us, whether we were paddling uphill or then we're paddling – or paddling upstream and then, okay, finally we'll get to the lake. Well, then there's a gnarly headwind and we're moving about a kilometer to an hour in a headwind. And then just whenever we thought we could relax and let our guard down, something else came up and, and bit us. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Yeah. Well, and that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's hard. Cause a lot of times in a race you can just put your mind on cruise control uh, there's no cruise control right no yeah i actually had some some life decisions i wanted to sort out on some long <laughs> boring sections but they never came <laughs> uh, never got those no. <laughs> so all right here's here's three questions or three people hugo walker glenn gibson and, and mike brown and they're all kind of the same thing okay. is like how did you navigate with such bad large-scale maps well, first of all, the maps were actually pretty good. Um, oh, were they? They were, yeah, they were all updated. Okay. So, yeah, they they weren't too bad. Um, and then, yeah, having a one to one hundred thousand scale map um, is is it's impossible to do the the micro navigation. So it's a little bit of a a shift in your mental approach to it. Mm -hmm. And so, ideally, the checkpoints are going to be you know really major features. They're they're all. They're mostly all um, farmhouses and, and major things like that. We're not really trying to find detailed locations. And it's more macro scale, like we're here, we need to get 10K to the north. Let's just go and find the smoothest path that takes us generally that way. Okay. Um, so, you know, Rob did great with the, the maps. I think, you know, we had a little bit of, oh, I guess just bad luck with things where you know, maybe, maybe it's some skill knowing that, oh, if we, if we went over onto this ridge, we'd have clearer jungle. And it just seemed like a lot of times we kind of had bad luck. And even, even the last 
shoot, the last 10 kilometers of the race, we were just pushing our bikes through a swamp and just thinking like, is this really the intended route? And a lot of times, you know, we've been expedition racing long enough. You kind of know, and this isn't really what the race director is intending. We're doing something wrong. Let's reset. Yeah. In this race, we could never quite put our finger on, is this the intended route? Or are we doing something stupid? It just, it seemed like everything we were doing was intended and it was stupid. Oh, it's it. That's interesting. So, okay. Um, okay. And I might answer this one for you, but uh, Kirsten Horowitz wants to know how you stayed so ridiculously photogenic through the race. And personally, I think that was probably just the photographers taking care of you. But Yeah, it's really good. Uh, probably Valencia filter on Instagram or something. There you go. Um, Chris, Chris Hogue, Ian Hogue, wanted to know, and you got the map, so because this doesn't quite make sense to me, but did you consider riding the long way around to the last paddling lake? Oh, yeah. So so we were with Merrill, and we were the mm -hmm. first two teams on the course at this point because, you know, the short course, we got ahead of the top five yeah. teams. Well, we left the ropes course, and it rained, so we finally got a little bit of reprieve from the heat. Um, and the rain, we were pushing our bikes in sand for uh, 12 hours, which was terrible. Then we got some rain and then we were able to actually ride in the sand. Then it rained some more. And then the sand turned into like a cement clay mud that we were just pushing our bikes through. And then eventually you can't even push your bikes through. You got to carry your bike and bikes were weighing like 50 pounds with all that clay on there. And yeah. I spent a good part of today trying the best to clean my bike, but it's in every <laughs> little nook and cranny. Uh, might have to take the frame apart and take all the parts uh, out to get it cleaned up properly. Uh, so we had just gone through all that junk, mm -hmm. and we got to a waypoint that was a mandatory waypoint, and it was on a hill. And below the hill was a really nice track through a swamp marshland to um, to the start of the last paddle. And we figured, hey, we're going to be eating dinner in Karumba that night, and. Again, again, let our guard down. Um, mm -hmm. Got kind of got in that mode, like, "Hey, we're going to be done finally with this crazy course." Well, we drop down the hill. We hear Merrill kind of beating the bush on one side, and we're kind of looking around. There's no clear track, so we do a bit of macheting up high, the really thick, prickly, nasty stuff, and we drop down low and. So we're kind of thinking at this point, yeah, Ian's right. Let's bike all the way around to get to town because yeah. there's no track here. It's 15K. It could be 15 kilometers of bushwhacking through a swamp with our bikes. Yeah. yeah. But we have that mud, right? So we don't want to have to deal mm -hmm. with that mud again. So we're very hopeful that we'll push through the swamp for a couple kilometers and we'll find a track. So we yeah, pushed yeah. through the swamp a couple kilometers and we found a guy's house. So we're like, okay, great. If this guy's got a house, he's got a road to it, right? Well, not in the Pantanal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess he just lives there and maybe uh -huh. he takes a boat through the swamp when he wants to get some more supplies or something. So no road. He assured us there was no trail. And we still have 10, 12 kilometers to go. And it's night. And he's telling us we could wade in the water up to our chest. By the way, this is all communicated via hand gestures. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's telling yeah. us there's big alligators, but there are amigos. And we just got to <laughs> stomp and they'll get out of the way. And we wade chest deep at night with our bikes 
through the swamp. Well, wow. of course, every leg is longer than it's it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. and we start running out of battery power. Um, so we're down to just two headlamps for the four of us, and we're pushing our bikes in swamps, kicking alligators out of the way. <laughs> and I think Rob was getting pretty tired with the map. Um, I was just weaving my way all around stupid in the marsh trying to get through and just so optimistic that I was going to come to some dry ground and we're going to ride to the finish. I saw what I thought was a pasture with cows and I got really excited. So I'm like, Oh, there's a pasture down here. There's a bunch of cows. We'll get to the pasture. We'll get a cow track out of here to the road. Like it's going to work hundred percent. Cows have to have have a way. Well, they weren't cows. They were more alligators. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that didn't work, and that was a pretty good sign to Mary that we all needed to sleep. And since there were some buildings there, we we, um, we slept in a little screened-in um, porch area of this guy's little home. And, you know, we were out of lights. We were pretty delusional, um, chasing cows around that weren't there. So we slept till daylight. And actually, Meryl, who we were kind of working with, did the same thing um, in another house. And we woke up. And I think it was Seagate, Raid Light, and God Zone uh, continued on making the blazing the trail through the swamp. And we followed it out just another two kilometers and got to a really nice road. <laughs> so if we could have persisted a little further. We maybe would have gotten dinner in Kurumba that night. But yeah, in hindsight, in hindsight, we should have backtracked and faced the mud and done you know, probably 30 kilometers around instead of the 12 or 15. Just straight through. Yeah. So, okay, let's see where we're at. So we're, we're getting, we're starting to get into a lot of uh, the same questions, but Stacy Rebar wants to know how did it compare to other races as far as crazy level difficulty? Yeah, I think, well, I think first of all, just the nature of where we were, which is really mm-hmm. the, in my opinion, the saving grace of this race. Like when I look back at this race, I have fond memories because we were mm-hmm. in the middle of South America in the most weird environment ever. And I don't think okay. a lot of people go there, get to explore, especially not the way we did. We traversed uh, a little mountain range that had the most breathtaking views not a trail in sight. Um, you know, all these little farmhouses we went to, they're just accessed by boat and horse. Um, yeah. So definitely the most remote I've been to. I mean, Alaska, you know, you're remote, you're on a glacier, but then in a couple hours you drop down and you're into a little town. Um, so yeah. that was pretty unique. So, um, yeah, all races are hard. And I, I, yeah. I definitely see this unfortunate pattern where race directors are trying to make their races just harder and harder and harder. And it's mm-hmm. not really fun. I mean, you can make a race challenging. You can have a section of crazy bushwhack, but no one wants to be stuck in a thick, nasty jungle for two days. Bushwhack. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's becoming a little, a little bit, bit more, more adventure and a little less race, race right, right now. now. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, there's a point where the suffering and the pushing your body past your, your limits and all that is part of it. But there's a point where it's just not fun. And there were definitely sections in this race where we just 
it wasn't fun for for too long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, miserable for a while is okay, but not for two days, right? Yeah. So, okay. Um, Phil Nicholas has got, I think, a couple of really interesting questions. Um, first one is, how did the race play out relative to your initial planning and strategy? Oh, well, actually, um, with the initial timing and strategy, we planned to sleep. You know, and the, the way these races work is you get box A, box B, box C. And then at certain transitions, you'll see box A. Other transitions, you'll see box B. So you kind of got to plan ahead. And the way our sleep plan worked, because, you know, here's our sleep plan for every race. is We skip the first night, and then we hit two or three hours every other night. And the last mm -hmm. night could be question mark whether or not we, we take that one or not. And then, of course, if there's dark zones or, or anything we're pushing towards, you know, we might have to forego some sleep or bank bank a lot of sleep. So that's kind of the, the basic plan we always use. I think a lot of the teams use that. So the way all of our sleep worked out is we were going to sleep out of uh, box B every time. So we're like, oh, great, let's put our all of our sleeping stuff in box B. Well, that went out the window, and we never slept with box B. We only slept when we got to box A, which had nothing. So uh, that was mm. that was a little unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, didn't work out very good. Yeah. Um, and then the second part of his question um, did you guys think you would clear the course or did you have a exit strategy? And I'm sure you planned on clearing the course. Yeah. So it's, you know, the, the, the phrase clearing the course is not even something you think about when you're, when we're doing these world series uh, expedition races, it's, you know, it's, it's not a Rogaine format. It's point to point adventure. And, yeah. you know, typically, typically top 10 or more teams do every bit of the course and really they're designed a lot of them are designed so you know winning time is in four or five days and the course is open for nine days for a lot mm -hmm. a lot more teams to finish so our expectations are you know to podium at these races so we're never expecting to to not clear a course or, or to be on an altered short course unless the course is too long for everybody like this one. And then typically what happens is the course is altered by the time the lead team gets there. Yeah. But that was in my opinion, mismanaged. And then we had, uh, yeah, we had a little bit of a competition taken away from us because, yeah. um, you know, in Ecuador we passed, we passed three teams in the last, hour of the race yeah um, last last 10 minutes of the race yeah. you pass teams <laughs> and yeah. yeah i mean we we raced to the finish line and here um you know i think we weren't quite sure how the rankings were, were going to work we just knew hey we're going to race as hard as we can and, and we're going to try to put as much time as we can on on god's own merrill the two teams we were racing with and yeah. we weren't quite sure how things were going to pan out but we also knew we couldn't touch those five teams that went into that pack rafting leg, yeah. which is unfortunate because we're a strong cycling team and um, we didn't get to bike against those teams at all. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think, and obviously there was no way to have biking before, but is, you know, 75% of the race or whatever it is before you see your bike, do you think that's fair? 
Well, I mean, Alaska was the same way. And um, yeah. I mean, sure, it's fair. It's the same for every team. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get... but but your guys are strong, strong cyclists. Yeah. So yeah. so, the, you know, the race had a lot of paddling and not a lot of biking. So, yeah, yeah that's a, a disadvantage to us. But, you know, we're not going to pout and moan or not come to the race because yeah. of that. We can still still push hard. But, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. Um yeah, it's unfortunate. But then again, if you put a race on in a unique environment and it doesn't it doesn't really lend itself to paddling, let's say you're racing in the desert. Um, Cowboy Tough last year. There, Yeah, there you go. So there's just – yeah, it's the nature of it. Yeah, so – yeah, well, it is, yeah. You just – you race the course and then everybody else also. So, um, And here's one from Emily Course that kind of basically didn't ask – do you guys ever run out of food, or did you realize early that you need to uh, ration a little bit? We ran out of food pretty much every leg. <laughs> every leg, but maybe the paddles. And okay. the problem is um, your food is all pre-planned, like how many hours mm -hmm. you can take for each leg. Yeah. What we did adjust, and there's no markets to buy more food until the last day. Yeah. We did we did come into a little town. Um the problem is, yeah, your food is already set. So once you realize, like, wow, these estimates are way fast, we need twice as much food, there's nothing we could do about it. But what we mm -hmm. did do is if you're in a leg and you start to realize, wow, we're going to be out here for way longer than we thought, it's almost like unspoken, but we all started to kind of ration our food down and maybe consume less. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, and then you know, at then at the end, it's like, oh, I got two gels left. I got a handful of wet cookies left, and you know, you just you start to eat that. <laughs> uh, did did Mary have any uh, tips on running out of food after Primal Quest? <laughs> you know, she she definitely a few times was saying she had she had flashbacks to being back in the uh, the hell hellhole. Hell hole <laughs> yeah, yeah. I shouldn't be laughing, but. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I wasn't there to give you Mountain Dew, but no place to buy Mountain Dew in the jungle anyway, right? No, they have this crazy drink called uh, Arantica, wait, Ar Arantica Gargantua, something like that. It's like a yeah. hyped up caffeine sports drink, soft drink. Yeah. Oh, so perfect for you. Yeah. Um, here's one from from Barb Barb Campbell, and. So this is this is from when we were going to talk earlier in the week, but she says, you know, Tuesday is too soon to put the race in perspective. She probably right. Saturday, Friday is too. But how do you feel about it at this point? Well, uh, and I think you're allowed to change your feelings on this. Yeah, well, right now, in the you know, well, we were going to talk a few days ago, but I did need a little more yeah. time to kind of you know, talk to my friends and mentors yeah. and things like that. But I'm, I'm disappointed we didn't get to experience that pack rafting leg. Um, mm -hmm. We didn't get an opportunity to chase teams ahead of us. Um, and just to have that experience, you know, talking to, you know, Aaron Prince really loved that section and other people loved yeah. it. I mean, it was, you know, maybe pushing the limits of, of survival. <laughs> but yeah. I would have loved yeah. to be out there and and been out of food for so long and, and – tried to figure out that puzzle um yeah with, with rob especially um, so i, I do you regret think, you know i regret um, yeah but 
the circumstances, you know, we didn't really address what Jason was going through in this race, but... Oh, yeah, well, that's, yeah, let me know. Yeah, let's talk about yeah, that. So, then. so uh, Jason was a sub for Garrett. Like, Garrett was going to be doing this race. Mm-hmm. Things just worked out that he wasn't prepared, so Jason stepped up to the plate. Jason is a strong mountain athlete, doesn't have as much experience paddling or in jungles or wet environments. Yeah. So on that first paddling leg... um it definitely wasn't lily dipping because his hand was completely blistered and mm. like there's some pictures out there but yeah just gross nasty blisters on his hands and then his feet started to get sore and you know he was make he was mentioning that his feet were sore and he might need to address them and i said all right let's stop and take a look and i looked at him they look fine they look they were macerated and you know, all wrinkly and white and yeah. i said your feet are sore you might get a couple blisters but tonight we're going to sleep. We're going to dry those feet out. You'll be like a new man when we wake up, which is what I experience yeah. personally. So um, that wasn't the case. <laughs> His feet didn't really dry out, and he had he had bad feet, um, you know, starting to maybe get a little infected and bad blisters and really sore. So we struggled, and, um, you know, helping people carry their packs when their feet are sore definitely helps speed them up. Yeah. Um, but he spent about half that race without his backpack and mm. just absolutely suffering. Uh, and he doesn't say much. He doesn't complain. So you know when he mentions that, that, he, yeah. that he's struggling, he's, he's in rough shape. So, yeah, Jace, Jason really struggled mostly with his, his feet. And then he got just terrible edema, like his feet and legs were just so swollen. So even mm. when we got to the bike, he was already so broken that, that he couldn't pedal. Wow. And so, yeah, um, we actually, it's kind of funny. Um, there's a, there's, there's a Brazilian cowboy out there with a Mike closer pack. <laughs> Cause we, um, we were like, why are we even carrying four backpacks? So we, we cut off the mandatory whistle and, uh, <laughs> and gave this cowboy, um, Mike closer pack. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, well, I mean, no, you know, you do what you do. Yeah. So, so yeah. Jason uh, came into that that TA six where we're all kind of hanging out. And, yeah. If he if he didn't need the extra rest and recovery there, we would have gone out in that pack rafting leg. But mm-hmm. um, because we needed the time there, and also, you know, it was it was very clear from the previous briefing that this section was going to be the hardest, was the crux, yeah. and you needed to be well rested and you know, hundred percent going in. So. Um, you know, we weren't gonna we weren't gonna put Jason into that situation without making sure he was recovered. Yeah. So I have a question about TA six. So you're sitting there and you're hearing how long it's taking Seagate to do it. Do you think that would have made you you guys if you'd gone out even more vigilant and and maybe had a good pack or a good race because you knew the shit was coming? Well, you know, I've been told that Seagate's track through there was pretty clean, and they kept yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it would help keep us motivated to keep pushing and know that this is long and hard, and anything can happen out here. Yeah. Oh so, yeah, definitely. So, um, let's see what. I think we got everybody. Well, we didn't ask everybody's questions, but we asked every question that was in here. Okay. So, um, so I think, and I think 
I don't think there's anything we really haven't talked about, is there, for the race? There's a couple of controversial things that have been popping up, and that's the use of uh, the yellow brick, yellow. some some course information, and also the yeah. use of the IV drips. So, well, what's what's your take? Because so, you're here, yeah. you were there. So, um, I'm pretty sure the World Series rule is you get a time penalty if you use if you use an IV. Yeah. And from what I've experienced, someone goes from death to life when they can get, you know, the IV. And a lot of times, dehydration. Once you're dehydrated, it's hard to take water in orally. It's, it's just it's a mm-hmm. weird thing. Your body refuses it. So the IV is almost necessary. Um, you know, I know in, in most professional sports, it's illegal. It's seen as, you know, any other yeah. type of dopings. Um, yeah. And I know in France, we, we actually had to take an IV for Sam Clark because, you know, it was that point in the race where it's like we couldn't continue in his state and it was kind of the last last measure and their ruling was a dnf you're done if you get an iv and that was our case there and i think yeah the world series rule is is some sort of time penalty when we got in the ta6 there was a doctor there and they were very eager to hand out uh the ivs to rehydrate everybody and they offered jason one and jason wasn't really in too much of a position to kind of uh (laughs) make decisions and I and I said hold on a second you know what's what's happening here and and everybody's favorite volunteer Jose from Portugal mm-hmm. at all the World Series races seems like he was translating and he was saying Shuby made it very clear that in her race there's no penalty for taking the drip and they're encouraged because of the nature of this course and Shuby was responsible for everybody's health um, so she kind of stepped in so that's the rule here so and we had heard of teams ahead of us getting getting the IVs. And so it's kind of like, well, you know, I explained it to Jason that, you know, this is not something you want to do. And I don't think you need it because I think he was drinking really well. Um, but uh, yeah. knowing that teams ahead of us had taken them um, and knowing that Jason was, was really struggling and that uh, we're competing in a race against other people that are having, you know, we – kind of on the same playing field and I said if you want to take the IV take it and he he did get one he got three bags and he felt worse afterwards I'm not sure why huh. um yeah so I think ideally it would be great if he didn't take that but I think once we learned that our competitors ahead of us who at that point we were planning on going to chase down we're getting it um you know it's kind of a slippery slope so yeah, ideally, I well, think these these things and this race will hopefully the good that'll come out of it is these things will be really clear before the races start what what the yeah. rules are around the IV whether it's time yeah. penalty disqualification something because yeah. if that's the yeah. case you know my first reaction was we could have run ourselves into the ground into that TA and all and all taken IV fluids and been out there and and been three hours faster on the previous leg. No. But we need to, yeah. in my opinion, the teams need to manage their own, you know, their own health. And obviously, if they get into a situation where they're in trouble and they need that for for life, then yeah, it's great to have. But so that's yeah, that's that's what's. Going but on yeah, there. well, it should just be made absolutely clear beforehand. Mm-hmm. 
and that doesn't sound doesn't sound like it really was. No, it wasn't. Yeah. So, and then you know, then we have the yellow brick. Yeah. So that, you apparently, know. Um, you know, I actually picked up the yellow brick for the team and before the mm-hmm. race, and this is our you know GPS trackers. So there's online yeah. tracking. It's also our safety device, so we can hit an emergency button, and there's also text messaging back and forth via satellite um, to the race organization. And so it was very clear that if you sent a text message or hit the help button or anything, your race is over. You're done. Um, mm-hmm. So there's no, you know, sending a text saying, you know, where am I? Where am I? Yeah. <laughs> and so essentially, from what I hear, um, yeah, both Columbia and the Estonian team sent messages saying, you know, some type of needing some type of assistance mm-hmm. uh, in that pack rafting leg that we didn't get to. So yeah. here, here's the trouble is, is their race over, but we didn't even attempt this leg, or are they going to alter the rules and give them some type of time penalty, which is what they did. So, yeah. um, you know, I don't think it was fair that we should place ahead of any team that went out in that pack raft leg. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, it's just it's it's screwed up. You can't really. Yeah. <laughs> but I also don't think that any team that used that um, should also get disqualified, and then we would move up a place when we'd even attempt that. But I also think they needed to not rank ahead of any other team like Seagate, Silva, or Swedish Armed Forces that didn't uh, use the yellow brick. So. It's just yeah. it's an it's an ugly situation again that I wish didn't come up or was clarified earlier. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but you know, it seems, it seems like, like how do you address, address every, every issue. issue that might come up? <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing yeah. is, you have a course that's that's vetted and you know how long things are going to take and you manage it appropriately. Because yeah. I, I wonder, it'd be it'd be curious to ask. I mean, you're going to talk to more teams. Yeah. When they used that yellow brick, were they basically surrendering? I mean, were they basically saying, "We're done. <laughs> yeah. to get out of here." Yeah. Yep. And I am going to be talking to the to uh, Silver, the captain of the Estonian team. So. Oh yeah, he's a good guy. I, I mean, you know, yeah, that's that's a good question. Did did they just want to get back? Did they just want to come out alive? Right. Right. And not care about the race so much. I mean, there's definitely so, that yeah. point, you know, a lot of races where you're like, hey, well, we're not racing anymore. This is more about survival. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. You know, it would be interesting to see, yeah, if they thought, okay, well, we're done now. And then they're not. So, right. But, um, I don't know. Sounds like a hell of a race in some regards. In some regards, it sounds like a hell of a race. <laughs> I mean, it was an experience. Like, yeah, I think my post um, on Facebook when I when we got out alive was, I never thought I would be falling asleep while waiting in a swamp, staring at alligators, and like how I was so comfortable with that situation. <laughs> and you know, it makes me wonder, like, what what environment in the world could I not be dropped into with my teammates and survive? And it's kind of it's powerful, you know. Yeah. Yeah. This is a pretty inhospitable place, and I would imagine, you know, there's got to be worse places out there, more aggressive yeah. animals. You know, most of these animals were pretty chill. Oh, I got a kick out of this at the, the pre-race meeting. You know, Shuby would talk about all the animals, and she kind of do this mm-hmm. evil little laugh, and then she kept mentioning no risk. There's no risk, <laughs> and we'd be out yeah. there like staring at alligators, 
eye to eye and saying, oh, no risk, no risk. No risk. <laughs> That's a, yeah, there's, hell, there's risk in everything. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then again, but, you know, I, I talked to my mom, who's, of course, a big fan of the teams. And, yeah. Um, you know, she was saying she's pretty nervous, like this was a pretty risky race or maybe the, the chance for not coming out alive was higher. But, but really, you know, the the world championships in France I think had much higher potential for for injury than than mm. here. Um yeah. you, know, you kinda you don't quite fully know the picture. You put a lot of trust in the race director, which is um yeah, because you know, we don't know this environment at all. Yeah. And but I, I didn't feel like like I said, these animals and all that were they were minding their own business. Yeah. You just but how nice is it going to be to go to the next World Championships where everybody speaks English? Yeah, English is good. I mean, it's kind of fun. <laughs> it's part of the adventure, you know, to not yeah. really, you know, to talk to some guy, wake him up at 2 in the morning who lives by himself, doesn't see people really ever, and to have a conversation with him about how we can get across his swamp with using, <laughs> you know, sign language. It's It's fun. I mean, that's... That's why we race. That's why we're not, you know, triathletes. That's we all want to be explorers and have these adventures and stories. It's all about having a story. Well, this one was a hell of a story. We thought Jason, I can't argue that. We thought Jason got bit by a piranha. We were we were walking across a swamp. Uh, it's kind of the theme in this race. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he said, "Ah, something just bit me." And again, this is Jason who doesn't really. You know, if 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 I got yeah. brushed by a lily pad, I would say that. But so I figured he probably got struck by something good. So we got out of the swamp, and I, and I took a look. It was on the back of his thigh, and it was a there was a red ring about the size of a silver dollar. It was all white in the middle and two red dots. And I was like, whoa! Mm -hmm. Like some some crazy creature like sucked on you and then poked two fangs in you. And uh, so we monitored him because who knows if something, you know, yeah, yeah. he shouldn't be walking around. We need to hit our yellow brick and get, get help. And we came across a, a Brazilian team out there and I asked them what a piranha bite looked like. And they described exactly what his no. leg was. But, you know, I figured if it was a piranha that maybe tried to bite him and decided he didn't want to eat him, uh, yeah. moved away. So when we got to that next medical check, you know, he took care of his feet and all that. And he said, hey, I got one other thing. Check out my leg. And they, they treated it. And I was like, is that a piranha bite? And they didn't understand me. And they say in Portuguese, piranha, piranha. And so I, I finally communicated, like, is that a piranha bite? And they started laughing at me. It wasn't a piranha bite. It was just some insect bite. But yeah, we thought we, we were telling uh, Mary told Jason as he's, like, struggling. He's got bit in the leg by something. Mary's like, Jason, I'm kind of jealous that you got bit by a piranha <laughs> because you have this great story. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You got a great story being bit by a piranha. Yeah. So. Um, so do we want to talk about the other news? Yeah. So tell us, tell us the big news. Yeah, so... I, I'm excited. <laughs> After maybe six years of, of racing um, under Technu as our title sponsor, um, I've secured a new sponsor for, for next year and hopefully many more years to come 
um, with Adventure Medical Kits. So we are going to be racing as Adventure Medical Kits starting in 2016. And it's going to be um, same team roster, uh, me, Mary Chandler, Rob Preston, Garrett Bean, Jason Papilski, Abby Broughton, uh, and also we're going to add a teammate, um, photographer Aaron Johnson, mm-hmm. to the mix, who does a lot of uh, long-distance mountain bike packing races. Yeah. And it sounds like... Yeah. It's, uh, well, well, we know it's a good team. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to try to offer... Um, you know, a lot to our sponsors and offer a lot to the sport, um, help develop the sport and, and hopefully get a lot more media attention, PR. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of big, big idea pictures like that for the sport and help it, help it grow and, uh, you know, tell more people about what this, this sport is. And even if folks, I mean, this sport isn't for everybody, that's for sure. I mean, getting bit by piranha and swimming with alligators is not for everybody. Yeah. Um, there's a reason it's it's the hardest sport out there, but people are all interested in it and they want to hear the stories and they like watching it on TV and mm-hmm. so, you know, hopefully we can yeah. we can bring more awareness. Sounds sounds like an uh, exciting new uh, new chapter. Yeah. So, um, so is your next year's program going to be kind of similar to what you did this year? Um, well, we got a got a calendar. We're going to go to the AR World Series in Belize in February, and I cannot believe we're going back to the jungle in 12 weeks. <laughs> but Here, you want to hear something kind of interesting? Yeah. I was talking with Doug this week, and he said he was getting so many emails from people watching watching in Brazil and like, oh, I don't know if we want to come now <laughs> to Belize. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's not quite the same. So he yeah. said, you should be fine. So, But... Uh, yeah, that should be exciting. That's could, sounds like it's going to be a tough race. So yeah, I, a lot of a lot of teams coming. That's good. Yeah, World yeah. Series is that's that's important. So the most important thing, I'll be there. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah and then uh, yeah. we're gonna do God Zone in April. Okay. Which is not. I can't. I can't say anything about that yet. Not part of uh, <laughs> World Series, but of course. Um, you know, New Zealand's got to be the opposite in terms of crazy wildlife. Yeah. <laughs> so no snakes in New Zealand. And then um, friends of ours uh, are putting on a two-day race in Colorado in June, we hope mm-hmm. to do. Yep. Called the Journeys. Nomad. Yep. Yep. And then Abby and Jason have been putting on a race in the Tetons the past few years. And in 2016, they're going to have a 24-hour uh, length race called the Teton Ogre. So we'll hopefully mm-hmm. do that. And then we'll do Cowboy Tough in July. Yeah. And uh, we have um, our our local race, the the Gold Rush um, Adventure Race, is going to host mm-hmm. the uh, North American Adventure Race Series Championships this next year in September. And so that race makes sense for us. And then yeah, uh, USARA's is October in Georgia, and we'll go there. And that would be. Um, that would be an opportunity for us to, to have a fourth national title in a row, which would be four in a row. special. Yep. Um, and then um, top it all off in November in Australia uh, at the World Championships. Yeah. So, of course, in Australia, there's 73 things in every picture that will kill you. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess it, yeah, I guess it depends where we go, but um, yeah, you know, we have a, a really good race director there with Craig and yeah. president of the World World Series. So again, we got to put put our trust in him and hope that he keeps us out of harm's way somewhat. Yeah. So, well, it sounds like a uh, a full season. Yeah, it's definitely so. full, and we, we'll probably have a few um, few guest racers just because yeah. that four expeditions is a lot, even for the seven of us. Yeah. Um, so. Kind of sort through all that right now. Um, now that this year's racing is done, and yeah. um, we're gonna ha- launch a website and Facebook page. Um, I think probably by the time you post this, it'll be up. Um, Team Adventure Medical Kits. So. Uh, definitely follow us there to keep keep track of all of our our racing and race reports and gear reviews and check out some new sponsors that we'll have and and all that sort of stuff yeah well it probably won't be up because i'm going to probably post this just as soon as we get done okay (laughs) people people have been asking me where it's at all right well yeah that's fine um but but we'll get we'll get links up and yeah well it's it's going to be up this weekend so Okay, if if need be, I can I can put this up and I can then edit it like on Monday and and get them on there. So yeah, no, that, that's all and good. it'll and it'll go up again. But yeah, it it's kind of nice to know that people are actually paying attention because <laughs> and I won't say I've had a lot, maybe a half a dozen messages and emails and like, where's Kyle's interview? We want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, it took me it took me a little bit to kind of sort through the race myself, I guess. Yeah. So, but. Um, well, cool. Well, you're going to go out and party tonight a little bit, it sounded like. Oh, man, I don't know. Yesterday was my first day without a nap. So well, uh, I hear you there. Today was my first day doing something active. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, well, it is fat season, right? Well, not with uh, Belize coming up. Oh, that's true. That's only like yeah. 85 days away. 12 weeks, yeah. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna take uh, two, three weeks of um, – pretty moderate moderate training like my body feels great um but so yeah but you could go you could overdo your training really easy right now if you're not careful yeah so i'm just gonna kind of keep keep uh keep myself happy you know i think i lost quite a bit of muscle in this race with going without food yeah um yeah so i'll hit the gym next week and see where we're at I like to, yeah. I like to hit the back squats, you know, and see how we're doing there. See where you're at. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been uh, once again a a very enlightening report. Um, I will tell you, you're one of the you're one of the people that knows how to talk on on this and let us know what's going on. So I appreciate that. Well, if there's, there's one thing I like more than adventure racing. It's talking to myself. So. There you go. It comes easy. <laughs> we're we're the perfect perfect pair because I like to talk about myself too. <laughs> except I ain't been in the jungle for nine days, so we'll listen to you. So, all right. Well, cool. Well, I'm gonna say to hearing the rest of your interviews too and getting the scoop because typically we have two three days to kind of uh, bullshit around with the other teams, but we we all finished on the last day and mm-hmm. fell asleep in our post race meal and then took a flight. So, curious mm-hmm. to hear what the other teams have to say. I've got about, I think, somewhere like 10 or 11 people confirmed in the next 
couple of weeks. So I may be putting out podcasts a little more often than once a week. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine for me. So, and I'm catching yeah. up too. I think uh, I missed four while I was out there. So, so all right. Well, good. I right. need, need the listenership. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you, Randy. Take care. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. called Alice's Restaurant. It's about Alice and the restaurant. But Alice's Restaurant is not the name of the restaurant. That's just the name of the song. And that's why I call the song Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Walk right in, it's around the back, just a half a mile from the railroad track. And you can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Now it all started two Thanksgivings ago, it was on two years ago on Thanksgiving when my friend and I went up to visit Alice at the restaurant but Alice doesn't live in the restaurant she lives in the church nearby the restaurant in the bell tower with her husband Ray and Fotch is a dog and living in the bell tower like that they got a lot of room downstairs where the pews used to be and having all that room seeing as how they took out all the pews they decided that they didn't have to take out their garbage for a long time we got up there, we found all the garbage in there, and we decided it'd be a friendly gesture for us to take the garbage down to the city dump. So we took the half a ton of garbage, put it in the back of a red VW microbus, took shovels and rakes and implements of destruction, and headed on toward the city dump. Well, we got there, and there's a big sign and a chain across the dump saying closed on Thanksgiving, and we had never heard of a dump closed on Thanksgiving before, and with tears in our eyes, we drove off into the sunset looking for another place to put the garbage. We didn't find one. Till we came to a side road, and off the side of the side road was another 15-foot cliff, and at the bottom of the cliff was another pile of garbage, and we decided that one big pile was better than two little piles, and rather than bring that one up, we decided to throw ours down. That's what we did. Drove back to the church, had a Thanksgiving dinner that couldn't be beat, went to sleep and didn't get up until the next morning when we got a phone call from Officer Obi. He said, kid, we found your name on an envelope at the bottom of a half a ton of garbage, and wanted to know if you had any information about it. And I said, yes, sir, Officer Obey, cannot tell a lie. I put that envelope under that garbage. 
After speaking over for about 45 minutes on the telephone, we finally arrived at the truth of the matter and said that we had to go down and pick up the garbage and also had to go down and speak to him at the police officer station. So we got in the red VW microbus with the shovels and rakes and implements of destruction headed on toward the police officer station. Now, friends, there was only one or two things that Obi could have done at the police station, and the first was that he could have given us a medal for being so brave and honest on the telephone, which wasn't very likely and we didn't expect it. Another thing was that he could have bawled us out and told us never to be seen driving garbage around the vicinity again which is what we expected but when we got to the police officer station there was a third possibility that we hadn't even counted upon and we was both immediately arrested handcuffed and i said oh yeah don't think i can pick up the garbage with these handcuffs on I said shut up kid get in the back of the patrol car and that's what we did sat in the back of the patrol car and drove to the quote scene of the crime unquote I want to tell you about the town of Stockbridge, Massachusetts, where this happened here. They got three stop signs, two police officers, and one police car. But when we got to the scene of the crime, there was five police officers and three police cars being the biggest crime of the last 50 years, and everybody wanted to get in the newspaper story about it. And they was using up all kinds of cop equipment that they had hanging around the police officer station. They was taking plastic tire track footprints, dog smelling prints, and they took 27 8 by 10 color glossy photographs with circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one explaining what each one was to be used as evidence against us. Took pictures of the approach, the getaway, the northwest corner and southwest corner, and that's not to mention the aerial photography. After the ordeal, we went back to the jail. Obi said he was gonna put us in the cell. Said, kid, I'm gonna put you in the cell. I want your wallet and your belt. And I said, Obi, I can understand you wanting my wallet so I don't have any money to spend in the cell, but what do you want my belt for? And it said, kid, we don't want any hangings. Said, Obi, did you think I was gonna hang myself for littering? Obi said he was making sure, and friends Obi was, cause he took out the toilet seat so I couldn't hit myself over the head and drown. And he took out the toilet paper so I couldn't bend the bars, roll out the roll the toilet paper out the window, slide down the roll and have an escape. Obi was making sure, and it was about four or five hours later that Alice, remember Alice? It's a song about Alice. Alice came by and with a few nasty words to Obi on the side, bailed us out of jail. We went back to the church, had another Thanksgiving dinner that couldn't be beat and didn't get up until the next morning when we all had to go to court. We walked in, sat down. Obi came in with a 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back each one. Sat down man came in said all rise we all stood up and obi stood up with the 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures and the judge walked in sat down with the cni dog and he sat down we sat down obi looked at the cni dog then the 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one and looked at the cni dog 
And then the 27 8x10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one and began to cry because Obi came to the realization that it was a typical case of American blind justice and there wasn't nothing he could do about it. And the judge wasn't going to look at the 27 8x10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one explaining what each one was to be used as evidence against us. And we was fined $50 and had to pick up the garbage in the snow, but that's not what I came to tell you about. Came to talk about the draft. We got a building down in New York City, it's called Whitehall Street, where you walk in and you get injected, inspected, detected, infected, neglected, and selected. I went down to get my physical examination one day and I walked in, I sat down, got good and drunk the night before, so I looked and felt my best when I went in that morning. Cause I wanted to look like the all-American kid from New York City. Man, I wanted, I wanted to feel like all, I wanted to be the all-American kid from New York. And I walked in, sat down, I was hung down, brung down, hung up and all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly things. And I walked in, I sat down, they gave me a piece of paper, said, kid, see the psychiatrist, room 604. And I went up there, I said, shrink, I want to kill. I mean, I want, I want to kill, kill. I want, I want to see, I want to see blood and gore and guts and veins in my teeth. Eat dead, burnt bodies. I mean, kill, 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 kill. And I started jumping up and down, yelling, kill, kill. And it started jumping up and down with me, and we was both jumping up and down, yelling, kill, kill. And the sergeant came over, pinned the metal on me, sent me down the hall, said, you're our boy. And you feel too good about it. Proceeded on down the hall, getting more injections, inspections, detections, neglections, and all kinds of stuff that they was doing to me at the thing there. And I was there for two hours, three hours, four hours. I was there for a long time, going through all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly things, and I just having a tough time there and they was inspecting injecting every single part of me and they wasn't leaving no part untouched proceeded through and I went finally came to see the very last man I walked in walked in sat down after a whole big thing there and I walked up and said what do you want he said kid we only got one question have you ever been arrested And I proceeded to tell him the story of Alice's Restaurant Massacre with full orchestration and five-part harmony and stuff like that. And then all the phenomena stopped me right there and said, Kid, did you ever go to court? I proceeded to tell him the story of the 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one that stopped me right there and said, Kid... I want you to go over and sit down on that bench that says Group W. Now, kid! And I, I walked over to, to the bench there, and there's, there's Group W is where, where they put you if you may not be moral enough to, to join the army after committing your special crime and 
Here was all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly-looking people on the bench there as mother rapers, father stabbers, father rapers, father rapers sitting right there on the bench next to me and one day was mean and nasty and ugly and horrible and crime-fighting guys are sitting there on the bench and the meanest, ugliest, nastiest one, the meanest father raper of them all, was coming over to me and he was mean and ugly and nasty and horrible and all kinds of things and he sat down next to me and said, kid, what'd you get? I said, I didn't get nothing. I had to pay $50 and pick up the garbage. <laughs> I said, what were you arrested for, kid? And I said, littering. And they all moved away from me on the bench there to carry a bone, all kinds of mean, nasty things. Till I said, and creating a nuisance. And they all came back, shook my hand, and we had a great time. On the bench talking about crime, mother stabbing, father raping, all kinds of groovy things that we was talking about on the bench. And everything was fine. We were smoking cigarettes and all kinds of things until the sergeant came over. Had some paper in his hand, held it up, and said, kids. This piece of paper's got 47 words, 37 cents, it's 58 words. We want no details of crime, time, crime, and that kind of thing. You got to say, pretend to about the crime, one of the rest, and officers, name, and that kind of thing. You got to say in the top for 45 minutes, and nobody understood a word that he said. But we had fun filling out the forms and playing with the pencils on the bench there. And I filled out the massacre with the four-part harmony, and... Wrote it down there just like it was And everything was fine And I put down a pencil And I turned over the piece of paper And, and there There on the other side In the middle of the other side Away from everything else on the other side In parentheses capital letters quotated read the following words kid you rehabilitated yourself I went over to the sergeant and said sergeant you've got a lot of damn gall to ask me if I've rehabilitated myself I mean I mean I mean I just I'm sitting here on the bench I mean, I'm sitting here on the group W bench Cause you wanna know if I'm moral enough to join an army Burn women, kids, houses, and villages after being a litter bum <laughs> He looked at me and said, kid, you don't like your kind And we're gonna send your fingerprints off to Washington and friends Somewhere in Washington, enshrined in some little folders and study in black and white of my fingerprints and the only reason I'm singing you the song now is cause you may know somebody in a similar situation or you may be in a similar situation and if you're in a situation like that there's only one thing you can do is walk into the shrink wherever you are just walk in say shrink you can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant and walk out. 
You know, if one person, just one person does it, they may think he's really sick and they won't take him. And if two people, two people do it in harmony, they think they're both faggots and they won't take either of them. And if three people do it, three, can you imagine three people walking in, singing a bar, Alice's restaurant, and walking out? They may think it's an organization. And can you, can you imagine 50 people a day? I said 50 people a day walking in, singing a bar, Alice's restaurant, and walking out. And friends, they may think it's a movement. And that's what it is. The Alice's restaurant, anti-massacre movement. And all you gotta do to join is to sing it the next time it comes around on the guitar with feeling. So we'll wait till it comes around on the guitar here. Sing it when it does. Here it comes. You can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant. Walk right in this around the back, just a half a mile from the railroad track. And you can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant. That was horrible. <laughs> one and Warren stuff, you gotta sing loud. You could put a lot. I've been singing the song now for 25 minutes. <laughs> I could sing it for another 25 minutes. I'm not proud. <laughs> or tired. So we'll wait till it comes around again. And this time with four part harmony in the feeling. We're just waiting for it to come around, is what we're doing. Restaurant, da 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 da, at Alice's 